You're listening to a 3CR podcast of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Radio MMT respectfully acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land from which we are broadcasting, the Wurundjeri people, and we are broadcasting to the Kulin Nations. Our focus is economics, that is, how stuff is produced and distributed. We recognise that for many tens of thousands of years, First Nations people's connection to country successfully embodied the world's oldest continuous economy, which was catastrophically disrupted by genocide and displacement. We acknowledge that we have much to learn to reshape our current extractive and exploitive system to achieve sustainable prosperity for everyone. Radio MMT. Economics for the rest of us with Anne and Kev. Radio MMT. Looking at the world through the lens of modern monetary theory. Radio MMT. Macroeconomics for a well-being economy. Macroeconomics? Like, isn't that incredibly boring? No, Kevin, it's incredibly interesting. It's all about who gets what and why. Who gets what and why? Okay, I'm in. Radio MMT at gmail.com. Incredibly interesting macroeconomics for the rest of us. Welcome to Radio MMT, and this is this is um, an unusual show for us because it it's not the second or the fourth Friday of the month; it's the fifth Friday of the month, which happens every now and again. It's a bit like a, a blue moon. I never knew about the fifth Friday until we were doing this show, and now I've discovered there are four of them a year, and this is the one that we're doing this year, this right. fifth Friday. It feels almost like um, you know February twenty ninth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like that. It's a bit like a leap year. It's like we get like leap Fridays. In, leap in a Friday. Month. That's what it is. So we might be speaking to people who don't normally listen to us, Anne. Mm-hmm. They've, they've tuned in on the fifth Friday expecting who knows what, who and, knows they what? Got us. and they got us. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. So, so um, do we know what we're going to talk about this week? Well, I think uh, we'll have to stay on theme here, Kevin. Yeah. It's always the economy. It's always macroeconomics. Yep. And I'm so pleased when people join us for the hour because I think we all need to wise up about what's going on with the economy and why it seems to benefit some people and not benefit other people. You know, I can't, I can't understand, like in the world that we live in, is how so many people don't know about the economy. It's central to how uh-huh. a lot of people live. Well, I quite happily walked around thinking, leave it to the experts. Yeah, and as it turns out, um, we're not, we're not, do we call ourselves experts? We're, 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 we talk to the experts who seem to know what they're talking about. We're mouthpieces for the experts. We, mm. we, we would one day like to be experts, but that might take a bit of time. And, you know, I was thinking the only reason I'm in this, Kevin, doing this with you on these second and fourth Fridays and, and every now and then the fifth Friday <laughs> is because... Uh, we do know what the solutions are. So yes. it's not just critiquing the problems and it seems to be everyone points to the economy as the source of our troubles, whether it's the uh, poly crisis, the uh, climate change, whatever's going on. You know, the, the solutions are all at our fingertips and all we have to do is reach out. And occasionally you see um, people using the solutions that uh, that are obvious to you and I and anybody else who has an MMT understanding of the economy Um we saw what the Morrison government did during COVID. We called it before. Um, I remember we were on um, a show. Tuesday breakfast, I think it was. Tuesday breakfast, early in COVID, and they're all freaking out. We've gone, nah, they, they'll have to. They'll just have to spend <laughs> money into spending. the economy, otherwise it'll collapse. And lo and behold, they did. So it, it's actually reassuring to, to know some of the options. And it's reassuring to see some of the least likely candidates, people like Morrison and, and conservative governments, uh, reverting to a pragmatic uh, and sensible use of public money 
in, Which makes you think they know what they're doing. Well, they know that they can do it, and they've <laughs> tried it, and the sky didn't fall in. So, so that's that's kind of reassuring. You know what else it is apart from the fifth Friday? Yeah, what's that? It's the last day of the financial year, oh, yeah. June thirty. June thirty, which means it's the last day of Radiothon here at Three CR. Ah, okay, mm-hmm. and um, uh, we've we've been going okay with our target. I think we're not too bad. We're sort of sidling up to our target there. Yeah, yeah. It's our <laughs> it's our first year uh, broadcasting as Radio MMT, um, and so for us, it's kind of like. Um, uh, there's there's honour involved, and if, mm. if we if we, we can f- hold our heads up if we make our target, if we fail miserably, <laughs> you know, it, it'll it'll look a bit shaky, and we're we're going to be in dire straits. Not that we should be uh, judging ourselves by by money. Mm. I'm, I'm quite disrespectful of the whole capitalist system. <laughs> <laughs> but but it is nice to think that you're pulling your weight and helping to keep this place operating, helping to keep the building going and yeah. the studios going and that antenna thingy that's somewhere going. Yeah yeah yeah. Now look, we are quite close to our target but we're not quite quite there. And I like the approach of we've had a couple of $5 donations and $10 donations, like small mm-hmm. ones, and I really like the idea of lots of people giving a little bit. Mm-hmm. To me, that's that's that works because if everybody just gives a little bit, everybody gets to have a piece it of it. It's the load, doesn't they, it? They can feel connected. They can feel some ownership. They don't have to um, you know, uh, go into into austerity um, you know, mode <laughs> to, to run their lives. Um uh, and uh, and it kind of works, you know. And it's a it's a very communal thing, you know. Five dollars isn't too much for a feel good feeling, is it? Five or ten bucks. If 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 we had ten or twenty people given five or ten bucks, that would um, that would mm. probably get us over the line. And yeah. uh, and when you do it, just imagine that there's bunches of other people doing it. So even though it might feel a bit silly to hop onto three crorgau hop onto the website forward slash donate. Yeah. Even it feels a bit silly just to put $5 in there. Just remember that there's probably hundreds of other people doing the same thing. I don't think it feels silly. That, I reckon that's a really good model. I, like I always um, like giving away spare change and little bits and pieces mm-hmm. um, to worthy causes, you know, like um, people who clean my windscreen at, at, the, um, at the intersections. Yeah, Love, love offloading my, 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 my change <laughs> because like if everybody did that, uh-huh. It, it, They'd have sweet. a good day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's well, a good approach. We have had some people uh, donating to Radio MMT. So I hope that means you've been bitten by the MMT bug and you're just as enthusiastic about economics as we are. Uh, my favourite outlier geographically yeah. <laughs> is, the, is Jack from Honolulu. Oh, wow. Did we get someone from Honolulu? <laughs> Excellent. Isn't that great? Oh, sensational. I Everybody, so love to do yep. the radio. Yeah. Everybody else, I'd say, is within the uh, city of Melbourne. The city of Melbourne, okay. Well, so we've got to start working on our international <laughs> international in, audience. Our international presence. Mm. But it does go to show how uh, locals are really appreciating the institution that is 3CR. It's a, it's a unique radio station in Australia. Indeed. And my other favourites, um, Lee from Brunswick. Thank you very much, Lee. And thank you very much, Adrian from Mentone and James from Parkville. Thank you very much. Good on them. So we've got a bit of um, bit of Southside action happening here, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, that's good. Uh, I, I may have been coerced by uh, another Southsider. I mm-hmm. think there's a, a Mads from Aspendale. Who, who there wants me is. To, I've got a Mads from Aspendale. Who wants me to play a song later on. Um, so, you know, <laughs> is, that, is that payola? Are we getting into into, into trouble? <laughs> Maybe next year we can, we can uh, auction off the song uh, the song yeah, segment. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So, so we'll, we'll be honouring that, um, that obligation. Because we are capo dogs. We are. Well, yeah. And I think my mum was a capo dog and, and my dad was a capo dog. 
can't, can't help ourselves. Oh, you know, but you get caught up in the capo thing. Even if you don't want to be a capo dog, you, you have to sort of like they're all around you and they charge you money for stuff. And if you haven't got it, then then mm-hmm. you, so you got to play the capo game a bit. And this you is what we're doing here. We don't we don't endorse capitalism. We think that it's a terrible system. The what would you call it? The over accrual of of wealth, personal wealth. I think mm. is a bad thing. You know, capitalism and, has gone awry. But, oh, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, however, we are. There are alternatives and alternatives that will benefit the well-being of people and planet. So, look, we are trapped by capitalism, but at, at least we can start dealing with the inequality thing. So if we can level the playing field a bit, if we, if we can get some people to give to our um, community radio station here at 3CR, it's it's um it's not what you call um, the flashiest radio station in Melbourne. Oh, they run a tight budget around here. They, they do in, in terms of fit up, but the people, the people are top notch. It's uh, what uh, what we mightn't have in in, in quality of of, uh, of facilities is more than made up for by the by the quality of the people at the station. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and we do have uh, the backing of some experts on this show as well. Mm-hmm. Like um, we have uh, Professor Bill Mitchell from MMT Ed, who is uh, associated with this sh- show. Um, and he guides us along our merry way with um uh, with advice. He does. You know, he contributes to every show with his letter from the Cape. And, of course, he's contributing to us behind the scenes as well. And Bill Mitchell, he is the fellow who saw through. It's like he pierced the veil along with a couple of other economists to see through all the fog that surrounds the economy. That is good. I've been, I've been uh, reading a bit of his book, and uh, uh, which he's written with um, two others, Randall Ray and Martin Watts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a bit of a, a history of um, of economic fields, you know, like the the, okay. the, the classicists. and, and it's been a battleground for hundreds of years, hasn't it? It has indeed, and it's very interesting to, to see. But uh, so, you know, um, Bill's by no means alone. He's – well, he, he draws from – He stands on the shoulders of giants. Giants. Like uh, he, he says we must read the classics, which is uh, like, you know, Keynes and Marx. John uh, Maynard Keynes, yeah, Karl Marx uh, and the institutionalists. I'm still learning about them. I yeah. think Veblen is one of them. Got and then lead. your buddy, Koleski. Koleski. Oh, yeah, I didn't realise that Koleski was my buddy, but we – we think alike, as it turns out. So that's quite nice. Um, but uh, look, shall we have a listen to uh, uh, the aforementioned Bill Mitchell with his letter from the Cape? Let's do it. It's time for a letter from the Cape with economist Bill, Bill Mitchell. Hello. Earlier this week, I was in Perth presenting to a group of healthcare professionals, all highly educated, networked, and passionate about their profession and the impact it can have on the well-being of our citizens. The conference facility had a live polling capacity, which means presenters could pose questions and the audience could monitor in real time as the answers were unfolding on a large screen in the auditorium. My questions were in fact proposals, the first of which went like this. The stage three tax cuts that overwhelmingly favour the high income earners should be scrapped so that the federal government has more money to spend on healthcare and education. True or false? Most chose true and were wrong. Even progressive people who care about improving the scope and quality of public spending on healthcare and education usually fall into that trap. Underpinning their answers is a belief that somehow the Australian government needs our money in order to spend that somehow, if we abandon those stage-free tax cuts, then the government will be able to redirect the funds that they would forego as a result of the lower taxes 
into healthcare and education. This belief is so pervasive that it has crippled the quality of the public debate about what we should expect from our government and allowed governments of all political persuasions to take decisions that actually undermine the well-being of the present generations and certainly the future generations. Many progressives feel warm at rallies chanting, tax the rich, or flooding social media with the same calls. They mount elaborate moral arguments that the rich should pay more tax so that the less well-off can have better health care or better childcare or more educational facilities or you name your preferred public wish list component. The problem is that this entire debate is being conducted in the fictional world created by economists. The entire tax the rich mantra might make us feel good that we have seized the answer to our problems and we are going to make those rich bastards pay. But in chanting the mantra, we are just expressing our ignorance and ceding ground to those who want less spending on welfare and more on procurement contracts for profit-seeking corporations. Whenever you hear this mantra, remember the MCG scoreboard. It can post points on the digital screen whenever it likes. Just as our national government can spend into existence as many dollars as it desires. We should never conflate rising tax revenue with an increase in the financial capacity of our government to spend. We pay taxes and are taxpayers, but those taxes do not provide the government with any extra spending capacity. In earlier episodes, we learned that among other things, the function of taxes is to deprive us of disposable income so that we cannot spend as much on goods and services, which in turn allows the government to conduct its spending program and use productive resources without creating inflation. Remember that the productive resources available to a nation at any point in time are finite. The role of taxes is to reduce our ability to command some of those resources so that the government doesn't have to compete for them by inflating prices. The point is that the tax revenue gained from abandoning the stage 3 tax cuts will provide the government with no extra financial capacity. The decision to spend on health care or education is a political one, presuming that there are sufficient productive resources available like doctors, nurses, teachers, infrastructure builders and all of the other inputs that are required to provide these essential services. It is the availability of those resources that may constrain government spending on healthcare and education, not its ability to purchase them if available. We should never get sucked into the so-called zero-sum game narrative that we cannot have A if we have B because there's not enough money for both. There is always enough government money if there are available resources. Does that mean I reject the proposition that the rich should pay more tax? Of course not. But I would never argue that we should raise taxes so that the government can have more money. It has all the money it ever wants. 
Its spending is constrained by the available resources that it can bring into productive use without generating inflationary pressures. At certain times, such as when the economy is at full employment, a rare occurrence in this neoliberal era, the constraints will be more severe. When there is mass unemployment, then there are very few constraints on government spending. So why would I tax the rich more? Simply as one way that we can reduce their power to influence the public debate through control of the media, through funding of think tanks and lobbying organisations, through funding of political parties and all the rest of the ways that those with lots of cash can splash it around and get what they want at the expense of the many. I'll be back next time. For now, see you later and take care. You're listening to 3CR 855 AM on digital and on the internet, www.3cr.org.au. Well, that was Professor Bill Mitchell. Yeah, no, and, and look, I, I like what he says. Like we have this discussion quite a lot about um, people want to uh, lay into the rich, um, and there's many reasons why people want to lay into the rich. But they, <laughs> but they use this excuse that oh, the rich have to pay for everything else, and then they raise the argument, well, why should we pay for everything else if we got rich? That that was our good luck, and <laughs> and you guys look after yourselves, you know, and, and then you have the whole thing starting off. And we could just sidestep that whole argument. Yeah. That whole. Um, I think about how much activist energy has gone into over the years of thinking that we have to tax the rich and finding ways to tax the rich and saying that we, we really can't do X, Y, Z until we've taxed the rich, until we've gone to Gina yeah. <laughs> sort of half-emptied her bank account. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like to put, put, put forward this proposition. How about this? Okay, mm. so so let's say um, the problem with the rich is uh, – Inequality. Uh, they they breed discontent in a uh, society. So if their wealth, if they're getting rich by driving wages down, if they're getting rich by having a pool of unemployed to keep wages down, if they're doing things which harm people to get mm. rich, then yeah, you know. But he, let's let's go into the rich. Mm. Um, if they have undue influence, if they are able to buy political influence, buy regulatory influence, and to, uh, turn society into how they want it. Remember that the the rich. It's a smaller number of people with a larger and larger amount of money. So we're now talking about the top ten percent uh, owning ninety percent plus of the wealth. You know, and and it didn't used to be that way. I was looking at some figures. Mm, it's um, changed over the years. Yeah, just over uh, just after World War Two, the top ten percent owned twenty percent of the wealth, mm. and the and the other ninety percent of the population. This was in the United States. Um, the other ninety percent of the population owned eighty percent of the wealth. So. That's kind of like a nice spread, and and it it was pretty good up until the seventies. A very interesting decade, the seventies. <laughs> yeah, and then everything changed. And so when you have that inequality, when you have rich people being really rich, we should tax the rich to flatten that out for sure. But let's say let's say we could regulate all that stuff. Let's say that we could say just because you've got money, you you can't buy political influence because we have regulations against that. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let's say that uh, if you're going to be 
really rich um, um, and we can support uh, the less fortunate in our community so that, that we look after uh, people in our community, that everybody has a decent uh, roof over their head, which is entirely possible. We, we did it during COVID. Like, mm-hmm. People talk about this stuff like it's fanciful um, sort of theory. We did it. We, mm-hmm. we put homeless people in, uh, in accommodation. We doubled uh, New Start uh, overnight. Um, mm-hmm. And a conservative government did it. So, let's say uh, everybody in society was f- doing well in terms of basics, and um, and then well, you can let the rich be as rich as they want. <laughs> and and I've got no problems with that. I'm I'm, I'm just uh, pr- yes. proposing I- the, the devil's advocate thing here <laughs> is that if we could address the problems of of uh, extreme wealth other ways, we're going to have to do a whole show about the rich because I think there are links to uh, the downward pressure on the bottom and the expansion of poverty and this mega wealth that we're seeing. So the two go hand in hand and you can't just deal with the um, lower end through government spending without also dealing with what's going on with this wealth that's accumulating at the top. Well, as, as you and I uh, and Koleski have um, uh, discovered in our uh, little discussions <laughs> together, and we know that um, uh, we can go back through this, have a listen to uh, some of our previous episodes on podcast, if you like, but there mm-hmm. is this relationship between... Uh, public money and profits, mm. uh, and profits are derived from public money. So what essentially that means is that when the government spends into the economy, the money cycles around, changes hands, uh, and filters through the economy and ends up in people's people's accounts. But it's all public money, and so people think that their money is private. They think, ah. Oh, I, I earned this money. I was you know, very clever, very entrepreneurial, very. I worked hard, so I deserve all this money. All their profit was originally public money. Uh, and so we as the public need to have some sort of ownership over how we distribute that through an economy and the effects that we'll have. So mm-hmm. sure, you're rich, you worked hard, whatever. How much money should you have? Should you have billions of dollars? Should you earn thousands uh, more than your employees? Mm-hmm. And it's a, a, a question of balance. And I don't think anybody would be overly resentful if these things were brought back into balance. Mm. Well, I think the eye-opening thing for me with modern monetary theory is once you understand that the government, the federal government, can never run out of Australian dollars because dollars are really just like points in this game that we call the economy and the federal government's just like the umpire. So once we understand that the government can never run out of money, then we immediately see that the taxes that the federal government are issuing are not funding their spending. And then we can be much more assertive about insisting that they spend on the things that are going to enhance our well-being. And so... I think one of the main messages coming out of MMT is we don't have to let the good ideas stall on this assumption of finding the money, as Bill said. And, you know, we could do everything from, I've heard recently, um, they need funding for better care for women after giving birth. They need, you know, they they, they say that the Murray-Darling keeps running out of water because they can't uh, afford the inspectors to go out to make sure that what the water usage is on the ground. Well, of course we could afford the inspectors if we wanted to. Yeah, if we've got inspectors around, if we've got people who are capable of doing that job, then the government has the capacity to pay them. Uh, and like you say, we're held up with these outdated and irrational uh, processes of classical economics that says that um, everything has to be paid for from a finite supply. It's it's 
completely mm. the wrong way to think. Yeah. And it's so counterintuitive. I can understand why a lot of people, when they first hear this, because it goes against your own experience of money because you think, oh, the, the federal government must just be like my household and my budget, which it's not because they're the currency issuer and we're the currency users. And it even goes against what state governments and local governments have to do. They do have to find the money either through taxing or through being funded by the government. Yeah, the federal government, the central government, yeah. Yep. Yeah, and this this comes back to a discussion that you and I have been having uh, quite a bit recently, and I think we're going to go into this um, further. And it's about, about the origins of money. And so mm. if, people, uh, if people regard uh, money as something that has its origins in the private sector, that that private entities created money, which is to say that it evolved from something like the barter system. Mm. Uh, well, then they have this kind of uh, this ownership over money. They think, well, I created the uh, the money, um, therefore it's mine, and um, I, sh- I should be able to keep it. Our, it's a very individualistic approach. Yeah. Now, our, our understanding, and we are going to explore this in, in much greater detail um, later on, is that that's just not the case. There's mm. no there's no economy that was ever set up. Um, that evolved from the barter system. So that's not the origins of money. Money was always something that um, uh, originated from uh, from government, from regulation. It was a way mm. to control behaviour in a community. Mm. Uh, and and if you need any proof of that, if you do actually have any cash in your pocket, mm. um, pull it out and you'll see on our um, notes it, that it says Reserve <laughs> Bank of Australia created that dollar. It was. I think it's, it's got a, Phil Lowe's signature. It's on it, an instrument it? <laughs> of government. Okay, it is definitely an instrument of government. Um, and and yeah. if you, if you had a whole bunch of uh, uh, private um, currencies in, in operation, it would be. A dog's fight. It would be a, a dog's breakfast. It'd be a, mm. a mess. I'm trying to think of the right metaphors. Dogs messy. <laughs> a messy dogs. A messy dogs. Hind leg breakfast. Speaking of which, <laughs> do you know how many dogs? Um, I'm staying in a house at the moment, and there, there are currently four dogs. You got a pack. Oh yeah, no, it's uh, it's um it's very unusual. But uh, it would be like that. It would be like <laughs> be like dinner time at the house at the moment. There'd be people raiding each other and going in sideways, and it'd just be mayhem, mayhem. So and so to feed those dogs properly, uh-huh. what, what what needs to happen is the the uh, the person who controls the house needs to separate and organise and regulate the behaviour of these dogs, uh, and it's centrally controlled. And it's the same. <laughs> it's the same with currency. I think it's a beautiful analogy. I'm so happy with that one. Nice one, Kevin. Just, well, ca- I... just came to me from. from <laughs> You're inspired tonight on the fifth Friday. Fifth <laughs> the things Friday? it does to yeah. you. Well, the more I learn about money, the more I think of it as um, part of our collective heritage. It's a public utility. It's there's the public purse, and we're not told about it. And once we learn about it, then we can have a say over how it's spent. Yeah, and uh, being a public utility, it should be uh, it should be created. And injected into the economy for the public well-being, not for not for private uh, private well-being, but for the public well-being, for the public good, mm-hmm. and and I think that's where we've lost the way, particularly over the last forty years, with this neoliberal focus, is that is that we view money as something that individuals can accumulate. Um, mm. And, it's and there. that the government should get out of the economy and, yeah. and it's fundamental to the economy. Which is exactly <laughs> the opposite way uh, to think of things. Anyway, I, I think that I need to honour the obligation to one of our uh, fine donors and, and uh, play a song that was requested by uh, an excellent band called Fill in the Tiles. This is a, a song called Elixir.
about economics with Anne and Kev, bringing you fair and balanced reporting. They are bastards, uttering complete bastards, Anne. (laughs) That's right. We're we're really digging into this bastardry. It's a smokescreen for corporations to increase their profit margin. All these big lies. Corporate profit and greed. They're considering it in their evil plans. He's the archetype megalomaniac neoliberal. The government pretending to be there for the The people. The neoliberal ethos of squeezing workers. This power struggle is continuously playing out under our very noses. So it's simplistic and it's inaccurate. What kind of an economic recovery strategy is that? Do you reckon it's more effective to say it's spurious to say the least or it's bullshit? (laughs) Radio MMT. The second and fourth Friday of each month. Between 5.30 and 6.30pm. Here on 3CR Community Radio. And occasionally the fifth um, Friday of each week too, which is what we are today. And I'm doing this Leap fifth Friday. This, this special edition, fifth Friday. Um, now look, we we've, haven't forgotten about the Radiothon. Um, uh, we still need people to just kick in five or ten bucks. That's right. Twenty bucks. I remember um, we had a show a little while ago mm. and, and we were talking about lawyers who earn about like 600 bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. Do you reckon, and I planted the seed back then, I thought if we got one of those rich lawyers just to delve into 
his, her, their mm. sullied conscience. <laughs> <laughs> Because if you're charging that much money, you're not on the right side of. of we were going to help with their karma points, weren't we? You're not. You're not a legal aid lawyer if you're charging that amount of money, mm. and, and you, you can still do that. Like we're almost at our target, but if mm. we doubled our target because because somebody saw the light, wow, and, and touched into their soul, that would be nice. There's that, a vision. That would be good. Yeah. Well, we do have Elizabeth has donated, as has Jane from Fairfield and Joe from Garden Vale. So thank you very much to everyone. Excellent. And I can guarantee you, you will not find another show like Radio MMT anywhere on the airwaves in Australia because I do know that our economists struggle to get any kind of airplay in the media and often uh, they get the reverse, they get lambasted for saying simple things like the Australian Federal Government can never run out of dollars because, of course, it does expose where the real issues are and it does expose where the lack of political will is. Hey, um, what do you think we should talk about for the rest of the show? I've got a bit of a clip. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, that was from the um, Adelaide Festival Writers' Week back in March 2023, a few months ago. Yep. But we could have a listen. That was a panel session that was chaired by Paul Barclay from ABC Radio National. And the panellists were an interesting bunch. Yep. There was Richard Dennis, who is an economist and executive director at the Australia Institute. And right. they're a pretty progressive bunch they're over there. A progressive bunch, not like the IPA. <laughs> it's hard. To, you get confused. You've got the Australia Institute, which is the AI, uh-huh. and the IPA, which... Yeah, are, you want to sort of know the difference there. Yeah, yeah. Then we also had Alan Kohler, who is a financial analyst in various media outlets. Hey, we might be um, interviewing Alan Kohler in the future. We might be. We might be hearing from him. Hey? Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah. Alan Kohler is very interesting to us because we do believe he knows a little bit about modern monetary theory. Yeah, yeah. So that could be uh, an interesting thing to listen to. And on this panel also was Wayne Swan, who is a former federal treasurer with the Labor Party, most notably during the GFC. And the topic of the panel was based on a book written by uh, economist Richard Dennis. The book was called Big, The Role of the State in the Modern Economy. And I'm always particularly interested by Wayne Swan because I don't know how much he knows or believes. He's really hard to read. Mm. Sometimes I think he knows how the economy runs and right. and what his restrictions are. And then other times he just trots out the orthodoxy <laughs> so convincingly. I sometimes think, maybe I don't know. Where so, are you? So I think we might hear some of that contradiction in this clip. And these and these conversations are interesting for what's not said and how things are said and, mm. and the choice of words. Like if you hear somebody say taxpayer money or public money, there's a big difference. The little words, the nuances become yes. more and more interesting. But let's let's have a listen. I'd like to ask each of you for this answer. Can a government with a sovereign currency ever run out of money? No. 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 <laughs> well, that was easy. The only, the only limit on government uh, on deficits is inflation. And your credibility. Well, not, uh, well, yeah. And just in case people miss the significance of that, the idea that we can go bankrupt as a nation is absurd. It's a neoliberal idea designed to make us scared of public spending. So our kind of household notion that you want to pay your debt off one day soon is precisely irrelevant for a nation state that should be planning for a long, happy future. The federal government has to do something over time, responsibly, to decrease debt levels. There's no question about that. But it has to be done in a way which continues to promote economic growth and ensures that the the benefits of that growth are more fairly spread around the country. There's never been the amount of debt in the world 
as there is now. There is a trillion dollars worth of debt. Some of it does need to be paid down and the government has to be ambitious about how it raises its money and it has to be very targeted in how it spends its money. In the 80s and 90s, the size of government didn't shrink. What happened was the funding of government switched from taxes to issuing bonds to debt. And so what we find now is that governments are still quite large and uh, they're being funded by deficits. We had a long time, uh, Wayne, when budget deficits were just seen as an inherent evil, they dominated election campaigns, then as you say, along comes a catastrophic pandemic. We need to spend a lot of money to protect people, to protect jobs. We did. It was successful on the whole. Do you think that's changed overall our view of budget deficits? Are we a bit more comfortable now with debt and deficit? And is that a good thing? Well, I think everyone here would well remember how the Labor Party was demonised for deficit and debt, not just through the GFC, but for the decade afterwards. It was the source of all evil in the country and in society. And of course, when the coalition got mugged by COVID, suddenly deficit and debt's okay now. So a trillion dollars worth of debt apparently is okay. There's now an issue which I'd like to hear Richard talk about a bit, is how larger government is going to be funded. Is it not self-evident that if you want better social services that you need to collect more money to pay for those social services? Though? Of, of course, but I think people, you know, people need to be taken on the journey. We're a low-tax country and we can't have world-class services, world-class infrastructure and world-class equality if we want to have a tax system in the bargain basement. It's a simple equation. If you want high quality public services, if you want better schools, better health care, better aged care, better disability care, you name it, you have to get more tax to pay for it. Why are those words so difficult for politicians to mouth? Well, they're not, and they were mouthed by the Treasurer this week. But you wouldn't know it from the din that went on. I mean, the truth is he put forward a very modest proposal to raise some more money uh, to put into all of those services. Now, Australia is about to go through, or is going through, two very big transitions. One's decarbonisation, and the other one is a more limited form of what I call reindustrialisation. And that is going to demand a joint approach from government and the private sector if we're going to make the uh, transitions through both those big structural changes. As we've heard before, the government balance sheet is maxed out. We've borrowed a lot of money, we've got a trillion dollars worth of debt. And it just makes sense for the public and private sectors to come together and make the investments for decarbonisation and reindustrialisation that do need to be made. Where is the money going to come from if you've got the two major political parties in Australia in favour of tax cuts for the wealthy? I mean, I've, I've done a lot of work on modern monetary theory, which I'm happy to talk about uh, if we want to, which is really not really about money it's, money, it's about fiscal policy and how government is funded and whether deficits are a bad thing and so on. I mean, I think, and if you looked at the October budget that the Labor Party had, it predicted a budget a deficit of $50 billion forever. And I think that's really quite interesting, actually. 
So what's really interesting about a conversation like that, which would be very confusing to anyone who has got no orientation to macroeconomics, is we started with the whole panel and the audience agreeing that the government can never run out of money, the Australian federal government can never run out of Australian dollars, and then by the end of the conversation we're talking about how we're going to have to raise taxes, how we're going to have to pay back the debt, and how we need these public-private partnerships. It's a kind of infuriating, isn't it? You, know, you listen to it and you hear these contradictions which you cannot run out of money you all agree that you can't run out of money and then you start talking about how you're going to run out of money. <laughs> it, <it's laughs> well, Stephanie Kelton has a really good way of um, navigating through these confusing conversations. She has a really good framework and she describes what she calls deficit owls, deficit doves and deficit hawks. And the MMT, or the Modern Monetary Theory School that Stephanie Kelton is an economist of, she would call herself, and we would call ourselves, deficit owls, which is that we say that you don't have to worry about the deficit or the surplus. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just a number that falls out of the barrel at the end of the year. But then you can compare that to the deficit hawks, which that would be like um, Peter Costello, our ex-federal uh, treasurer with the Liberal Party, and they believe that you need to balance the budget. You really should be taxing and spending the same amount so the budget is balanced, and you really should pay back the debt as soon as you can. <laughs> and then you've got the deficit doves, who they would be like Wayne Swan, I think, where it's like, well, sometimes, you know, you can't balance the budget because that's what life is. So sometimes you have to have a deficit, which means you've spent more than you've taxed and you kind of pay back the debt when you can. Yeah, uh, and it was interesting listening to Alan, especially towards the end there. Um, it's difficult in mainstream circles to talk about something as common sense and pragmatic as how the economy actually runs. Um, mm. You're speaking there with a, a, a former treasurer and it's so ingrained. They, they won't allow themselves to think any differently. Um, they've painted themselves into this persona. Mm. Uh, and for them to start talking differently and to contradict a lot of how they operated back in the day is is an emotional journey <laughs> that none of them are really prepared to take. Yeah. And so what we've got is, a, is a, a system that is hamstrung because we're looking after people's fragile egos at the mm. same time as we're sacrificing people to unnecessary poverty, we're restricting what we could do with education and health, we're putting the handbrake on all of these really good things which are for the well-being of society. Mm. And we're doing this mm. to protect the egos of people who have <laughs> well, been calling the shots. Yeah, yeah. It's also, I think, uh, I do hear a lot of people mention this thing called cognitive dissonance, which is MMT is asking us to do this whole paradigm shift. And so you've got to shift your whole worldview. And it took me quite a while to understand this business about taxes because I always thought, well, why would you, why would taxes destroy money? Can't you just recycle the money? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, so it does take a while to understand that these are accounting operations. So it's, it's money in, money out. Mm. Um, and, and so, like, to, talking about destroying money, actually, I've told you that story about the KLF, haven't I? Um, mm. The KLF left with this banjo in the 90s and they were this and I'm sorry I'm going to sidetrack it's okay. a fifth Friday it's a Kevin so, story it's so a fifth we, Friday let's go <laughs> so the KLF were this band and they were very anti-capitalist very anti anti-everything like mm. they, were, they were and so they're just um, uh, making music and they become really popular but 
in the process um, uh, of becoming popular, all the major labels said, come and sign with us, come and sign with us. And they said, no, nah, bugger that. We're not into this major label stuff. We're just going to uh, you know, do just look after thing. it, do our own thing, which meant they got all the money, which meant they ended up earning a, a truckload <laughs> of money. Right? They were really successful, really, really successful. They're going, oh, shit, everything that we're trying to sing against and, and, and rally against, we're becoming becoming that animal. So they, they, they made just a truckload of money. They were really, uh-huh. really uh, rich. Um, so what they did at the height of their popularity, they disbanded, uh, and they took a million dollars in cash to a small island in Scotland and set it on fire. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> so, so so you can actually burn it. But see, that would be they illegal. They could have given it to 3CR. <laughs> well, they could have, yeah. Uh, but but the, the whole point was that this stuff is, is uh, ridiculous and it's bad and, and it's, mm. it's used badly and it changes people. And they're right. Mm. You know, like, like we, I think actions like that is where people are mistaking money as a thing. They're not yeah. seeing it as a system. Yeah. And, and what we're talking about is when you destroy money, it's um, it's you've got money on your ledger sheet, it goes in and it comes out. When it comes back, you just zero it out. So maybe the destruction of, of, of money is, is too harsh a term. We're talking about an accounting spreadsheet where things get zeroed out. <laughs> money gets created on the spreadsheet and it gets zeroed out on yeah, the spreadsheet. Yeah, and that's it. And it's that's, like the economy is one giant spreadsheet. Yeah. You know, mm. All the accountants out there, yeah. they appreciate that. Radio MMT. Economics for the rest of us with Anne and Kev at 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne, Australia. The only way I can maybe excuse or understand this cognitive dissonance where people are still talking about having to... um, fund government spending with taxes, even though they've just said the government can never run out of money, is I have heard now people saying, well, there are different definitions of fund. What do we mean by funding? And so the old neoclassical definition of funding is finding the money. So it means the government has to tax us to get our money or it has to go to rich people and borrow their money. Um, So that's the old definition of funding. And There's a new definition of funding where people might be talking about, well, we have to find the resources. So what we're doing is what Bill was talking about, which is creating the so-called fiscal space. In other words, we're having to tax in order to do our spending because we want to be able to stop people in the private sector buying up the resources that the government wants. So, for example, you would be taxing your multi-millionaires so that they couldn't be building their yachts and their underground bunkers because we actually want to use those construction workers and all of that material and all of those skills to do our things, which would be like fast rail between capital cities or something yeah, like that. Yeah, would be nice. But he, yeah, it frustrates me that fast, whole fast rail. <laughs> I just want to catch a fast train to, to Sydney. Wouldn't that be great? Oh. oh, But anyway, I think, you know, if people really are genuinely in good faith saying we need to fund government spending through taxation and what they mean is we're creating the fiscal space so the government's got the resources... I don't think they should use the word fund. <laughs> no, no. It, does this come into the crowding out theory of, of funds that the neoliberals use? Or the, the not the neo, sorry, the, the uh, classical... Well, they think the government shouldn't spend into the economy or it shouldn't borrow money because there's a limited supply of money. And if the government's borrowing up some of that limited supply, then your clever entrepreneurs won't oh, have enough money to borrow. They're half right, really, though, aren't they? Because they're just failing to make the connection that money... Equals equals making resources, uh, available resources. That's why this stuff gets so slippery and why 
sometimes your neoclassical um, economists or even your post-Keynesian economists, they can start to sound a little bit MMT, but then you realise they're actually still in the old paradigm of what they mean by resources and what they mean by money. It's always the cart before, uh, before the horse with the, um, with the neoclassical stuff, yeah. 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 So uh, there was Paul Barclay putting some questions to his panel saying, are we now more comfortable with debt and deficit and is that a good thing? Do you think we are? Uh, no. Well, I think, I think it peaked with Abbott in the 2013 election. He came into that election screaming. The anti-debt and deficit. Debt and deficit disaster that awaited all of us. It was a hot topic for him, you know, um, and it got put to bed with COVID because then the coalition government put... Well, de- I'm not so sure now because um, there is a... Um is this of the net Jim Chalmers, and uh, he ah, seems yeah. to still be rather attached to the idea of surpluses. Okay, let's just have a listen to Jim Chalmers at Question Time. The Liberals and Nationals made a mess of the budget and we are cleaning it up. Our responsible budget management is rebuilding our nation's finances and leading to smaller deficits and less debt and lower interest costs. Now, a week before the budget was handed down on the 9th of May, the member for Hume issued a press release that said the test for this budget will be to balance the budget. Well, we are now eight days before the end of the financial year and we are on track to deliver the first surplus in 15 years, Mr Speaker. And what's clear is that we wouldn't be anywhere near a surplus without our spending restraint, our savings. Now, when those opposite came to office, they promised a string of surpluses. They said, and I quote, we will deliver a surplus in our first year and every year after that. And we all know how that turned out, Mr Speaker. They went zero for nine donuts. Donuts, Mr Speaker. The great irony of Australian politics is the Liberals talk about surpluses and the Greens talk about social housing and in the last decade neither has delivered any of either. In fact, Mr Speaker, those opposite delivered more consecutive deficits than any government since the 1920s. They delivered the biggest deficits since Federation, Mr Speaker. There was a decade of debt, a decade of deficit and a decade of disappointment. Responsible economic management and spending restraint. We take responsibility for cleaning up the mess that they left of the budget. It's complicated, that, isn't it? Because um, donuts, Mr. Speaker. Uh, so, so <laughs> this has been this has been a bugbear for the Labor government, particularly since Whitlam. Uh, historical context: you had conservative governments from '48 until '72, when Menzies, and then the rest and, until it came to a train wreck. Uh, and then you had the Whitlam government, who were there for three years, and. That was during an oil crisis and an inflation period, and they got lambusted for mismanaging the economy. Everyone thought their spending was creating the inflation when it was not creating the inflation so much. It was the oil price shock. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And when you look at the figures from uh, from the Whitlam government, uh, how they stack up, their their budget was run really well. It was, and what's more, we we still see the benefits of it today with Medicare and uh, Jim Chalmers still thinks he needs to run a surplus. Well, yeah, that's because that argument's been going on for decades, and mm. and uh, and they've been lambusted about how you guys can't run a surplus and you're bad financial managers and to be a good financial manager you need to run a surplus and so what we're learning is that argument is complete 
It's just complete rubbish. When he's proudly talking about cutting down on spending, what's he doing? He's actually cutting back probably on the budgets for healthcare workers. Yeah. So that's why we see them leaving in droves at the moment because they're so stressed out because they're all understaffed. But I feel a bit guilty because they've been they've been having this battle for, for decades and decades and decades, and they've mm. been trying to establish their credentials as being good financial managers by running a surplus, and they've finally won it. And you go, well done, guys. Except your argument is totally flawed. <laughs> so so the, I'm not even going to say well done on that. He should be reframing the conversation so that he is bringing the electorate with him, so that everybody understands that the deficit is. The spending that happens that goes into our pockets and provides the social services that we need, if they were doing proper spending, we could have universal look, dental care tomorrow. I t- I, look, I totally agree, agree with you. The, the <laughs> argument is fundamentally flawed, but that battle has been going on since 19, it has been. the mid-1970s. It's kind of interesting to hear it's still going, still <laughs> raging, isn't it, where he's accusing them of having the biggest deficit since Federation. <laughs> just, yeah, it, 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 I feel a bit guilty about taking the wind out of your sails by saying, I'm glad that you finally... You know, Look, I think Jim Chalmers is a nice guy. I think he's well-intentioned, but yeah, as yeah. they say, the road to hell. I'd love to get him on the show. That'd be um, terrific. Mm. I am. I'm sort yeah, of, Jim, if you're listening, we'd yeah, love yeah, to have yeah, you. Any, tre- or, <laughs> any or and put, all treasures. Put some of our MMT people on Q&A, you know. They, they tear them to shreds, Anne. Uh, We've said this before. It'd be, yeah. it'd be, a, uh, yeah, yeah. It'd be a bloodbath of, of logic and, and pragmatism. Uh-huh. You'd, you'd sort of go, what do we do now? You have to change everything. Could that happen? Could you have a, di- a public discussion? <laughs> well, I look forward to it. But until then, Kevin, hey. uh, the world needs Radio MMT. We've got to get out of the way. We're running overtime and uh, Vicky is coming up with Mafalda next. Thank you very much for listening to our fifth league show and we'll see you on the second... Back to our normal second Friday. Second Friday of next month. Just hang on two seconds while I sort myself out here because I've... <laughs> fifth Friday is very casual Friday. It, it is indeed. Okay, so... Till next time. You've been listening to Radio MMT with Anne and Kev. We'd love your feedback. Email us on radiommt at gmail.com or search Radio MMT on social media. Listen to this show anytime, wherever you get your podcasts or on 3cr.org.au forward slash radio MMT. Support this show and the station by subscribing to 3cr.org.au and mention Radio MMT. We thank all our guests. And we thank economist Professor Bill Mitchell and his mmted.org, educating masses on modern monetary theory. And thank you to our listening listeners for listening. And I thank you, Kevin. And I thank you, Anne. So what's planned for next week? Kevin, there is still so much to talk about. You've got to expose all this rotten economics. Well, yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good and I get it. Do you reckon we could use a bit more music? Well, I made a list of all these terrible economic theories. Like I've heard of the theory of comparative advantage or the quantity theory of money or the loanable funds theory. Have you heard of a band called Single Gun Theory? Like they're a really good band. <laughs> I'm sure there's a whole range of like macroeconomic music that I could bring into the show. Yeah, yeah, but we really need to do marginal productivity theory, not to mention the natural rate of unemployment and the money multiplier. You've got a pretty good singing voice. I play bass. <laughs> Bill, Bill, he plays guitar. I reckon we could form a macroeconomic band. Like, we could deliver this whole message by music. 
Well, we could call the band the permanent income hypothesis or the Ricardian equivalent or rational expectations. I think we're onto something here. We're trying to make macroeconomics more interesting to the masses. We're going to like form this band and sing it to them. And we're going to, we're going to bring the economists in. We're going to get musical. We're going to do the regression theory of money to music. That will work. That's good. Regression <laughs> theory of money. What runs with regression? Regression, suppression, <laughs> institutions. There's a world of opportunity here. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.